to the NASPP's Equity Expert Podcast. I'm Barbara Buckshot, and I'm the Executive Director for the NASPP. For this episode, we are going to talk about the types of equity awards public companies grant and which employees they grant them to. The trends we are going to share are findings from the 2021 Equity Incentives Design Survey, which is co-sponsored by the NASPP and Deloitte Consulting. This survey is part of a trio of surveys that the NASPP and Deloitte collaborate on that provide an in-depth look at the design and administration of all forms of worldwide stock compensation. The NASPP has been conducting these surveys since our inception in 1993, making them the industry's longest running and most comprehensive source of year-over-year data on trends in stock compensation. The 2021 edition focuses on the design of time-based full value awards and stock options, as well as performance awards. We conducted the survey in early 2021 and received close to 400 responses. All respondents are public companies representing a wide range of industries and company sizes from the newly public to the very mature. About a third of respondents are in the technology sector, and nearly all respondents are multinational companies headquartered in the United States. Joining me today to share some of the results from the survey is Ian Dawson from Deloitte Consulting. Thanks for joining me, Ian. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, So before we get to the survey data, I want to just first ask you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and what your role is at Deloitte. Thank you. So I've actually been with Deloitte now for, oh gosh, about 16 years. And I started my career with Deloitte with our UK firm in London, uh, where I focused on advising remuneration committees of FTSE 100 and FTSE 250 companies. I uh, spent three years in London and then the last 13 or so here in the US. I really wanted to, to learn the US market of executive compensation and, and moved to Chicago to do just that uh, back in 2008. And so I spent the last 13 years advising compensation committees and management on executive compensation issues. So that runs you know, all the way from salary benchmarking, incentive plan design, of course, all the way through to, to long-term incentive and equity plan design. So I've got a lot of experience in, in this subject matter and have seen how the landscape has changed significantly, frankly, over the, even the last 10 or 15 years on this topic. Great. Thanks. Well, it sounds like we've got the right person here today. <laughs> I certainly hope so. All right, well, let's just start with what are the overall trends that we're seeing with respect to equity vehicles at public companies? And does this align with what you see at your own clients? Yeah, you know, there's clearly been a big change in the types of vehicles that have been used over the last 10 or so years. Back in 2000, you know, everyone was granting options and we've seen that steadily decline That's from, you know, nearly everyone back in 2000 to even under half of companies are granting options here in, in 2021. And in, in their place, we're seeing far more use of full value awards, whether it's time vested, restricted stock or performance shares. I think there's a couple of things to think about here. You know, from, from the mid 80s all the way through the, the 2000s, the stock markets did very well and options you know, dominated the equity landscape and delivered a lot of value for executives. But in the early 2000s, you know, that landscape started changing. In 2006, the accounting rules changed, uh, resulting in a charge against earnings for option grants. In 2008, you know, we had we had the financial crisis and the economy entered a recession and people options aren't really that useful during a recession, typically. Now, of course, in 2010, we had Dodd-Frank and say on pay and the influence of proxy advisors and the focus on pay for performance and the, the differing views around whether options were really a performance based vehicle. So I think all of those factors have really contributed to the decline in the use of options over the last decade or so. 
and more and more we're seeing companies grant full value shares. So and that tends to be in a mix of time vested restricted stock and performance vested restricted stock. We're now at a place where you know over ninety percent of companies, I believe, uh, are granting performance based awards. And there's a number of reasons for that. It is some of it is shareholder pressure and proxy advisor pressure, but it is that increased focus on aligning the interests of executives with stockholders over the long-term period. And, and the performance shares are typically seen as the best way to do that. And you know, full value time vested awards are being used more and more now as quite frankly a retention tool to ensure some value is delivered. Because of course, if you don't hit the metrics in a performance-based plan, they don't deliver the value that you targeted. And that can leave you know, companies and executives in a position where they don't have as much skin in the game as you might like. So time-vested restricted stock are very often used at senior levels and, and, and even further down the organization, almost as a retention tool to give some value, because even if the stock price declines from grant, of course, they're going to deliver some value as they vest over time. So the landscape has changed a lot over the last decade. And the data that we, we see from this survey really does mirror exactly what I've seen um, since I've been here in the US, you know, 15 years and what I'm seeing with my clients at the moment. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's very interesting. I think how practices have changed so significantly over the years. Uh, when I started in this industry, stock options were the norm. That you know, this was 25 years ago, and no one granted restricted stock. And right. now it feels like all I get asked about is restricted stock in units. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely changed. You know, I've I've had clients, certainly um, boards and and leaders and CEOs who still love stock options. They're, they're of the mind that if we make money, shareholders make money. But in some instances, I have seen companies put all their eggs in the options basket. And in some cases, they've done very well from it. Our management's done very well. But if all of a sudden the stock price flattens out, it's very difficult to generate value and get value to the executives when the stock price is not increasing. And so all of a sudden you get left in a position where management's going back to the board saying, hey, look, all my options are either worthless or they're underwater or my executives are threatening to leave because we don't have any retention hooks. And then you can get in a position where, you know, you're asking a compensation committee for one-time retention awards. And that's just not a comfortable position for management or a board to be in. So I think that's one of the reasons that we've seen this, this uptick in the use of time-vested restricted stock, simply because even if the stock price stays flat or declines, they do deliver some value uh, to executives. And while some people would criticize time vessel restricted stock as kind of pay for pulse, pay for showing up, they do have that retentive aspect that I think a lot of companies have tended to like more recently over the last sort of five or six years, certainly. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. When, when stock options do well, they can do very well, but they can also do very, very poorly. And RSUs sort of provide a, a more stable return for your employees. Yeah, I think that's just it. It's that stability and certainty that the companies crave a little bit, particularly at the moment in the current market, I think. Uh, you know, restricted stock will be a very popular vehicle, and I think it will continue to be so uh, over the coming years. For sure. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go on to my next question, which is an assumption that I often encounter is that equity awards are offered only to senior executives. What do the survey results tell us about how deeply companies offer equity in their organizations? Well, I think, yeah, I think these survey results are really interesting, and they certainly align with what I've been seeing at, at my clients um, more and more over the last few years. And that is that 
Yeah, it, it is. Most people do think of long-term incentive awards as being reserved for the top of the house, for the C-suite, maybe direct reports. But we're seeing those awards reach further down into the organization now. So over 80% of companies are granting full-value time-vested awards to middle managers and half to junior management. And I'm seeing that more and more. So it's really the trend is that equity is now not just reserved for those senior individuals. Although performance-based equity typically is just reserved for the senior individuals. The time-based awards now are kind of reaching further down into the organization as companies kind of look to build culture, build that sense of ownership and collaboration that goes with the feeling of being an owner of stock. And I think the data really bears that out, frankly, and you know, significant majority of companies are, are granting time vested restricted stock to middle management and, and half even to junior management. And I think when we look back on that over the last even 10 years ago, those numbers would have been a lot, lot lower. And uh, so I think it's a really interesting trend to extend that eligibility and that participation for equity further down into the organization. And do you think it makes sense to grant equity to lower ranking employees? I do. I, I'm a big proponent. I really am. I think What's the old saying, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? I think making people owners really supports culture. I think it really supports culture and makes people feel part of something like they're moving the ship in the same direction. They're all all aboard. I I really like it. Um, I've I've never been fortunate enough to be a a stockholder myself, but, you know, I I have lots of friends who work in kind of middle and upper management who love being owners, who love getting their annual grant and feeling like they're moving in the direction and part of that company, you know. So I I think it's a a trend that's going to continue. We're living in a period of huge transformation in the employment market, you know, with this great resignation, with inflation outstripping merit budgets. Companies are needing to think of more creative ways to pay their people. And it can't always just be cash, right? So that's why I think a lot of companies are thinking, okay, how else can we get dollars and cents into our employees' hands? And not just for the short term. We can give people bigger bonuses, but that doesn't keep them around. When you give people equity awards, not only does it sort of support the culture, but if you put the right vesting conditions on them, it should you know, hopefully lock them in for a couple of years as well. There's a lot of advantages to using equity in that way. And I think that's, again, another reason why we're going to see companies continue to reach further down into the organization making these types of grants. I agree. And and I think I think there's a real limit. If you're paying employees only in cash, there's a real limit to how much cash you can pay employees. And equity allows you to provide some wealth creation opportunities for your employees that you, you can't do if you're paying them only in cash. It does. It really does. And I think that's, again, it's all part of the, the broader trend of it's not just about the money. I know we're talking about equity, which is denominated in equity, but realistically translates into into real dollars, but the well-being of employees and the wealth building creation that you talk about is an important part of an employer value proposition these days, you know, and I think that's a really important message that employers are trying to send out to the market, just saying we care about you and we want you to be part of our company for the long term. I think that's really important. The one challenge it does come with, though, that I would be remiss to, to not mention is dilution. Of course, the vast majority of shares are used uh, for the most senior levels in the organization. But when you start pushing equity further and further down, of course, it costs more shares and shareholders care about how much they get diluted. So that's the one caveat to all of this is that, yes, philosophically and culturally, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to push equity further down into the organization. But companies do certainly need to be mindful of how many shares they're burning through and what the impact on dilution is going to be in the long term and whether that's really acceptable from a, from a broader investor perspective. So like I said, it's it's a great thing, in my opinion, 
but it's not without additional considerations that that should be borne in mind throughout. Yes, that that's very true. If you if you're granting to your broad base of employees, depending on how large of a company you are, it can take a lot of shares to even just grant modest size awards to them. It can, it can, and, and it's if it's it's all well and good, you know, if, if the stock price is going up, then of course it takes fewer shares to deliver the same value. But I've certainly seen companies get in a pickle where employees are expecting equity grants every year, but the stock price has gone down, and all of a sudden it costs them twice as many shares to deliver the same value that they delivered the year before. And that can get problematic very quickly. It's a great thing, but I would encourage any company that's thinking through their equity granting strategy to think through all different types of scenarios and kind of model out three, five years. How many shares do we think we're going to need? How many shares do we need if the stock goes to X? And how many shares do we need if the stock goes to Y? Just to make sure they've done all that scenario planning and you don't find yourself in a situation where you really just don't have enough shares to deliver what employees expect. Well, thanks. I think that's helpful advice. I want to just switch gears here a minute and talk about technology versus non-technology companies. About a third of the respondents were tech companies. So we have some nice data where we can do a comparison here between tech and non-tech. What are some of the differences we see in the types of equity awards that technology companies offer as compared to other sectors? Well, it's it's an interesting question, actually, because I think in some respects, the technology industry is driving the change in terms of equity participation. Um, Not necessarily in the vehicles, but I think in the participation, we certainly see equity further down in the organization. So the middle management and the junior management that we just talked about, very common technology industry to be pushing it really further down in the organization. I think it's forcing a lot of competing industries where they're competing for the same sort of tech talent to to reassess their own guidelines to make sure that they can compete for that talent. But it's, it's fair to say that Certainly smaller technology companies, you're more likely to see options than you might be in bigger tech or in the general industry. I think options are still a very popular vehicle for the newly public companies just because of the leverage they provide and the alignment with the stock price growth. In terms of full value awards, it's actually pretty consistent between technology companies and other companies. You know, over 90% of companies, uh, based on the data from the survey in the technology industry, are using time vested restricted stock, and that's consistent um, with the general industry. I think what what is slightly different is that you will see, as I mentioned, time vested restricted stock pushed further down into the organization at technology companies than you might in the general industry. But I think the general industry is catching up on that one as they understand that really talent is starting to expect that to be part of the, the compensation package going forward. Thanks, Ian. That's helpful. Uh, I have just one last question that I want to ask you, which is about ESPPs. Uh, sure. What did we see in the survey in terms of how common employee stock purchase plans are? Yeah, it's a good question, actually, because it's really sort of split down the middle in, in general industry of half a company's offering an ESPP and half companies not. What is interesting is that we do see them uh, more commonly used in, in the technology industry. And I think that kind of goes back to the trend that we, we touched on, that there's this cultural trend in in tech to try and give employees the opportunity to be owners. And the SPP does a really good job of that, of course, by offering stock often at a discount. And so I think that that trend will continue. And I think you might see them more commonly used across general industry as as companies do try and encourage employees to be shareholders. The one thing with the SPP is just the administration. Um, They they can be, they're, they're a wonderful tool, but they're not always that useful globally. So they can be very difficult to administer and there can be some difficult tax implications of running ESPPs in certain jurisdictions. So I think it's um, 
it's a challenge strategically for a lot of companies to think about, okay, is this a vehicle that we want to use and where are we going to use it? So I think for, the, for those companies that don't use it, quite often it's because they have a significant population of their employees that may be outside of the US, for example. Um, for, for companies with a high percentage of their population in the US, I think you're going to see a lot higher correlation to the use of the SPPs. But yeah, in, in general, there's there's a 50-50 split, but we do see them more commonly used in, in, in the tech industry, where about I think about two-thirds of companies, according to our survey data, use them, which again is, is great to see and great to give employees that opportunity to to be owners and to to build wealth. It's true. Uh, yeah. And I am a I'm a big fan of ESPPs, but you are right, they are a very US centric type of plan right. and they don't always work outside the US. Uh, I've lately become kind of a fan of non-qualified ESPPs because I think it's a more flexible tool. You can structure the plan in a way that makes more sense for your worldwide employees and you're not inherently favoring your US employees. Yeah, I think I think it's just important that companies understand that it, there's no one size fits all approach to this. You know, when it comes to making your employees owners or encouraging ownership, we've certainly had clients that have kind of come to us and assumed that they can do that with a with an ESPP across the globe. And then, you know, you kind of peel a few layers back and understand what they're trying to achieve. And maybe it, it doesn't make sense for them. Um, in other instances, of course, it, it does make sense. But I, I think it's, you know, whenever companies are having these conversations about strategy, just understanding that what may have worked at a prior employee may not work culturally or administratively at a new employer, and that there's, there's different approaches to achieving this aim of making employees owners or encouraging that ownership. Great. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. So thanks, Ian. Uh, that's a wrap on this episode of the podcast. For those of you who want to learn more about the survey results, I encourage you to listen to the NASPP webcast, Top Trends from the Equity Incentives Design Survey, which is available now on the NASPP website. If you participated in the survey, you also have access to the full survey results on the NASPP website. This podcast is the first in a series of four podcasts that we will be broadcasting to highlight results from the survey. The survey is incredibly robust with literally hundreds of data points on stock compensation. And we've only had time to touch on just a small sample today. In the future podcasts, we are going to take a look at trends in global stock plans. We'll discuss our findings on retirement provisions, and we'll take a closer look at how performance awards are structured. Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation and the data that you highlighted. It was really my pleasure and thank you for having me. Uh, And thanks to our audience for listening. Uh, Please be sure to subscribe to the Equity Expert Podcast so you are notified when we post new episodes. You can subscribe on the NESPP website or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, everyone.